from E-Town Hall in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's E-Town, with more of our 30th anniversary celebration, this week featuring guests from 2003, including Henry Butler, Marsha Ball, The Waifs, Derek Trucks, Paul Brady, James Blood Almer, and more. I'm Helen Forster. Right now, here comes our host, Nick Forster. Thanks, Helen. Welcome to E-Town. Happy New Year. Hope you all managed to both have fun and stay healthy during the holidays. 2022, here we are, still in COVID limbo, but we're continuing to create new shows from our archives because there's so much good music and conversation. It's just been sitting there waiting to be rediscovered. Seems kind of selfish not to share it, so we're going to share it. That's what we're doing. We're covering some ground today. We're featuring guests from Texas, Florida, Louisiana, New York, Chicago, Tennessee, Australia, and Ireland. A couple of our featured guests are no longer with us, which makes their performances and conversations even more special, at least to me. But we're starting out with some people who are still very much with us, still performing when they can. Our first chunk of music includes the uh, Texas-based and Louisiana-born piano-playing band leader Marsha Ball, plus the Australian group The Waifs, and up first, the legendary Irish singer-songwriter Paul Brady, live on stage at E-Town from back in 2003. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm going to sing a song for you this time, which is a traditional song. It's not a song that I wrote. And I'm going to be joined on this by Nick here. You know, so it's historically a kind of a strange song. I know it was a big hit back in the 1880s in America. It was found in lots of different versions throughout um, um, the West even. Once it was called The Maid of the Poncho Plains, but tonight it's called The Lakes of Poncho Train. It was on one bright March morning I bid New Orleans adieu And I took the road to Jackson Town with fortune to renew. I cursed all foreign money, no credit could I gain, which filled me hard with longing for the lakes of Pontchartrain. Stepped on board of a railroad car Beneath the morning sun I rode the rods till evening And it laid me down again All strangers there, no friends to me Till a dark girl towards me came fell in love with a Creole girl by the lakes of Pontchartrain. I said, me pretty Creole girl, me 
is no good. And if it weren't for the alligators, I'd sleep out in the wood. You're welcome here, kind stranger. Our house is very plain, but we never turn the stranger out on the banks of Pontchartrain. Train. To try to paint her beauty, I'm sure it would be in vain. So handsome was my Creole girl by the lakes of Pontchartrain. Well, I asked her if she'd marry me. She said this could never be For she had got a lover And he was far as sea She said that she would wait for him And true, she would remain Till he Return to his Creole girl by the lakes of Pontchartrain. So fare thee well, me bonnie own girl. I never may see you more, but I'll never forget your kindness. In the cottage by the shore And at each social gathering A flowing glass I'll drink And I'll drink a health to me Creole girl By the lakes of Pontchartrain That's Paul Brady from Dublin, Ireland. Such a great singer, songwriter.
please welcome from Australia, the Waifs. Thank you very much. Thank you. We uh, originate from Australia, obviously all over Australia. Donna and I grew up in Western Australia, but our grandfather was an American. He was actually from Colorado. <laughs> And uh, he married, uh, yeah, he was a sailor. He married our grandmother in, in 1944 during the Second World War. And uh, what happened that after the war finished, the US Navy chartered a train across Australia to collect the war brides and reunite them with their husbands in America. They did this by chartering a train from the West Coast, Perth, Western Australia, to Sydney on the East Coast. It was about a six-day train trip and uh, the media dubbed this the bridal train. Basically, if you had married an American during the war, you could uh, make your way to the nearest city and get on this train. And it took you to Sydney, and then you were to get on the Monterey, a ship that sailed to San Francisco. And our grandmother was on that, and she told me this story. This is called The Bridal Train. Telegram arrived today Well it's time to catch the Monterey Cause the man I wed, he waits for me And the daughter that he's yet to see The US Navy beamed its message We'll deliver brides on a one-way passage It made big news across the nation the bridal train leaves from Perth Station All the girls around Australia Married to a Yankee sailor Your ferry is paid across the sea To the home of the brave and the land of the free From west to east the young girls came All aboard the bridal train it was a farewell crossing of her land She's gone to meet her sailor man No time for sad goodbyes Well she held her mother as she cried And then waited there in the Frio rain To climb aboard the bridal train where she was Holding a future in her hand The faded photo of a man Catch a sailor if you can The war bright leaves her southern land All the girls around Australia Married to a Yankee sailor Your fare is paid across the sea to the home of the brave and the land of the free From west to east the young girls came All aboard the bridal train It was a farewell crossing of her land She's gone to meet her sailor man Now this is a story of those starry nights Through desert plains City lights through burning sun 
and driving rain. She wept aboard the bridal train. See all the girls around Australia married to a Yankee sailor. Your fairest bay across the sea to the home of the brave and the land of the free. From west to east, the young girls came. All aboard the bridal chain It was a farewell crossing of her land She's gone to meet her sailor man That's the Waifs Vicki Simpson, Donna Simpson, Josh Cunningham Dave McDonald on the drums Ben France on the bass is Vicky playing the harmonica? The Waves. So, Marsha, the, the thing that I think was uh, so interesting is that there were a lot of women in your family played the piano, so you got to have that influence when you were growing up. Yes, my grandmother played, my aunt played, my cousin played. Uh, it was almost a competitive thing with my cousin and I about who could learn the things that they were playing that our, her mother and, and our grandmother were playing quicker and better. And, yeah. Uh, and I suspect that was not Professor Longhair that they were playing. No, but it was uh, not uh, Bach or Beethoven either. Yeah. My grandmother played ragtime and, uh, wow. and had a wonderful collection of Tin Pan Alley sheet music. And my aunt played beautiful uh, Gershwin-type wow. popular music of the 40s and 50s. Oh. And so then you went to college over in Baton Rouge. And did you bump into all kinds of new music when that happened? Well, it was the heyday of rock and roll. We were really fortunate. I think, you know, our generation kind of had all the great cars and the great music. And, and my favorite thing, though, I think is when the Rolling Stones came out, we all kind of looked at those guys and thought, God, if they can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start a band. <laughs> and so you moved to Austin in the early 70s or uh, 1970 or whatever yeah. it was. That must have been a great time, just being in Austin around that kind of free and Lots of musicians and college town. Yeah, and it was an oasis in the South, really a liberal oasis, and uh, and still somewhat remains so. But yeah, uh, I mentioned was I was introducing you that you'd had all this exposure on TV and radio and played at the Kennedy Center. You'd done all these big time things. Is there anything that was just really special, really meant a lot to you? Yeah, and I've been real fortunate to do a lot of things. But I think playing the White House with BB um, King, mm -hmm. and yeah, and Cephas and Wiggins and uh, yeah. Johnny Lang during the previous administration. It was, uh... <laughs> was my favorite thing, I think. And my mother got to go, and uh, so we had fun. Did the uh, previous leader of the free world play the saxophone that night? He told my sax player that you sounded great. I wish I had been up here. And my sax player, you know, what I wish I had said was, yeah, and I wish I was the leader of the entire free world. <laughs> <laughs> and right now I wish he was. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm glad to have you back on the show. Get back to music. Welcome back, if you would, Marsha Ball.
Marsha Ball. She's got Don Bennett on the bass and vocals, Pat Boyack on guitar and vocals, Brett Andrew on the sax, Mark Wilson on the drums. Thanks to Paul Brady and the Waifs and Marsha Ball. We'll be back with more highlights from our 2003 season after a short break. This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. You're listening to E-Town. Welcome back. Here's a great story of someone who took the time to make a real difference for people in need. In this case, fellow veterans and others who were homeless on the streets of Chicago. Here's Helen with more. Thanks, Nick. This week's story was sent in by listener Neil Sticka of Addison, Illinois. He's a high school student who listens to E-Town on WDCB out of Chicago. And he's nominating Jim Prophet of Glendale Heights, Illinois. Jim is the founder of the Sandwich Homeless Project. This is a grassroots organization that um, basically consists of Jim and his family and some volunteers who go out every week and give out food to the homeless of Chicago. They also distribute toilet trees and clothing to folks that need them. In his letter to us, uh, Neil says, Jim started doing this with his own money in his own house. 
Though the operation has expanded, Jim is still out there every week, come rain or shine. As one of the homeless men recently said, quote, Jim, you are the only thing that we can depend on. Wow. That sounds like a really great guy. And Nick, we've uh, actually reached Jim by cell phone. This happens to be the uh, day that he goes out on his weekly run to downtown Chicago. So we've managed to catch up with him there. We're going to talk with him and find out more about the work that he's doing. So please join me now in welcoming this week's Achievement Award winner, Jim Prophet. How are you, Jim? Pretty good, Nick. How you doing? Good. Where are you now? Uh, right now we're at our last stop at Maxwell Street. Maxwell Street in downtown Chicago. Yes. How's the weather out there today? A little chilly. It's about 15 degrees. Yikes. And you're out there distributing food right now? Yes. What got you started? Uh, that's hard to say. We used to work a shelter out in our, our area on Sundays for the homeless, but I wanted to get back to the streets uh, and then, strangely enough, Street's where I grew up, so that's where we kind of started this with 30 sandwiches and a thermos of coffee, and uh, we're on our 13th year. 13 years, and you started out, as you say, on streets that you grew up in, a yes. neighborhood that you know pretty well, with 30 sandwiches and a thermos of coffee. Yes. You were organizing this stuff just out of your own house and uh, making sandwiches yourselves? Yeah, up until two years ago, we made everything out of the house. Now we got a little storage area that we make everything out of because we kind of outgrew the house because the run got so big. But uh, er everything used to be out of the house. And Jim, how did you identify who was going to be the recipients for your sandwiches that you were making? How did you figure out where to distribute these things? Well, uh, basically anybody that was in need or homeless that needed something to eat or a cup of coffee, and that wasn't too hard to find. And once the word got out, I guess, that then made it easier too. Yeah, it kind of grew from week to week, and then now it's kind of <laughs> outgrown us. So what's a typical run like now? Well, we feed roughly about 650 people Sunday. We, we go out with 1,100 sandwiches, 1,100 snacks, probably 25 gallons of coffee and juice, about 70 hot dogs, 50 hamburgers, about four gallons of chili. We bring clothing with us, toiletries, uh, numerous stops varies between 50 and 60 a week. Wow. And how long does it take you to prepare all that stuff for a run like this? Uh, we only do this once a week, but it takes about three days to do all the shopping, yeah. pick up all the supplies, and then you got probably five, six hours Saturday, and then Sunday's usually a 12-hour day. So, Jim, when you're just hanging out with your friends and you're talking to people and they say, you know, so what do you do, and this comes up, what's, what's the reaction typically? Uh, most of the time it's disbelief. They want to know if I'm nuts. <laughs> and I go, this is what we do. Uh, we kind of just try to help people wherever we can. Yeah. For instance, where I'm at now is at a ramp right by the uh, uh, Dan Ryan Expressway, and underneath that ramp there's eight people that live there, and we bring them hot food and stuff, and, you know, they'll come out there and just hug you and God bless you and everything else. And every time in your mind, because you're tired, you want to give up, something like that happens, yeah. that you know you just can't give up no more. Well, you just got to keep coming out as yeah. long as they're out here. Yeah. So it's really rewarding work. Well, it, it is. It, it's yeah. rewarding, but it's a lot of sad work because we are a very wealthy and fortunate nation, 
and we should not have a problem of homelessness in this country. Being a veteran, I feel it is our shame of this country that we have so many veterans living in cardboard boxes and in shelters and in flop houses and everywhere else. Right. Uh, we have men out there that is highly decorated. It just bothers me that anybody does not have a warm place to be tonight because it's going to be kind of chilly tonight. Hey, Jim, in the years that you've been doing this, I know you don't keep track all that much, and it's hard to keep track when you're out on the street, but do you have any sense as to how many people you've been able to help or uh, serve or feed since you started? Like I said, we average about 650 a Sunday, maybe a little bit more. When it gets colder out, we do about 700. But if you take on an average, because we do it 51 weeks of the year, we take off one week in November, Veterans Week, to go down to the Vietnam Wall. So we only do this 51 Sundays a year. But we kind of figured out it's a little over 33,000 people a year. Wow. Wow. Well, you're an inspiration, Jim. I appreciate you taking the time in the middle of your run to uh, tell us what you do and how you do it. We're going to send you a, a Framed Achievement Award certificate in the mail, but I want you to know you've given us a whole bunch more than that by sharing your story with us, and I want to thank you. I appreciate it. It wasn't for all the people helping us. We just couldn't do this. Well, thank you for starting it, for getting it going, and for sticking with it, Jim. Thank you very much. Congratulations. That's this week's winner of the Achievement Award, Mr. Jim Profit, over in Chicago, Illinois. Our thanks to listener Neil Sticka of Addison, Illinois, who nominated our winner this week. Now, for the folks listening out there, if you have an idea of someone you think deserves some credit could be a stranger you've heard about or even somebody you know personally, send in their story. They could end up on the air. You can reach us here in E-Town, either on the net, info at etown.org, or write us the old-fashioned way at Box 954, Boulder, Colorado, 80306. Thanks, Ellen. Thanks to the late Jim Prophet for his work on behalf of people in need in his hometown of Chicago. I think he's inspiring and selfless and generous. Kind of a hero, in a way, and, and sort of the opposite of the sentiments exemplified by the mob of, I guess you'd call them domestic terrorists, who stormed the Capitol just over a year ago, themselves inspired by somebody who was certainly not selfless. That's what happened. And to me, that was not heroic. That was not like Jim Prophet, who worked hard to feed U.S. military veterans and others who were struggling on the streets of Chicago. Generous, inspiring, heroic. That's the Achievement Award. Now we've got a chunk of music that is going to be soulful and rootsy and cool. Free jazz guitar pioneer James Blood Ulmer is coming up. And up first, my chat with the late New Orleans piano legend Henry Butler. Henry Butler, it's great to have you back on E-Town. Thank you. Good to be here. It's so much fun for me to walk into a place and know that I can fit in, regardless of where it is. You know, I've played with country groups. I've played with Cajun groups. I've played with some of the people that you've had here. Uh, it's just so much fun for me to just listen. I mean, it's good to be able to listen. And that's one of the key things in playing music is listening. Mm -hmm. I can only assume that being blind makes you a better listener. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes I wonder. I, I think that, uh, first of all, I think sight is a wonderful gift, especially for those who have 
worked on training their eyes to see. Just because you look at something doesn't mean that you can see it. So it's a feeling as well as just a, a visual experience. Yes. Yeah. Henry, these are the good things for us to ponder. You're taking it to a deeper level. I like that stuff. All right. I do want to get back to music, and it's such a treat to have you here. I just want to get a chance to hear some more music. Welcome back, if you would, from down in New Orleans, Louisiana, Mr. Henry Butler. Thank you. And now, we will go down to the Mardi Gras. Down, 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 down
James Blood Ulmer. Turns out it's you. It's me. <laughs> and what a long road it's been, probably, you know? Starting out in South Carolina. I heard a story, I don't know if it's true, that your dad gave you a guitar when you were four years old. Something like that happened? Well, you know, my dad was kind of hardcore. He ain't never gave me no guitar. No. no? It was one in the house, you know. Okay. I had to leave it in the house when I left. <laughs> I left the guitar too. Now he was a preacher, so you grew up singing and playing gospel music. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, he was a quartet man. He just—I mean—he just loved quartet singing. Like the Blind Boys of Alabama and the. Well, he loved it so much. He wanted to be a part of the whole movement of the quartet movement. Yeah. He's one of the tickets kids and mold them into being the quartet. Okay, yeah. like a little uh, a yeah, gospel yeah, yeah, boy yeah. band. Yeah, so we was like forced to, to <laughs> oh. you know, against our will. Yeah. Not tied up, but... Right, close. <laughs> Old school, you know what I mean? I can see why you uh, went pretty far away from there pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be different, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's like... You played the instrument that was in the house. You didn't, if you wanted to play a saxophone and your family had a guitar, then you was out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> that actually sounds a little bit like you. Like, I get the feeling sometimes that you're a guy who wants to play the saxophone, really but it turns out it was a guitar. The saxophone. <laughs> I really wanted to be a saxophone player. I'm telling you, seriously. Seriously, wanted to be a saxophone player. I, I was uh, I was talking to uh, Derek Trucks about how the sustain on that slide guitar sometimes makes it sound like a horn. But when you got to New York in the early '70s, uh, you were really listening to and aiming towards horn players mostly, weren't you? Well, horns. My friends was horn players, and and yeah. that, you know, it was the only way that you could really get to listen to music to be friends with the horn players because. The horn players would listen to, you know, all of the good jazz, you know, the old time jazz players and and you know, and it really was good playing, but there never was a guitar in it. And then if I didn't hang out with guitar players, I would never figure out what music was. So I hung out with horn players because they would get all the records with the good, you know, Art Tatum, you know. Yeah. Jango Reinhardt, but really who messed me up on the guitar was um, Segovia. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Andre Segovia. Yeah, yeah he did some stuff for the guitar that, um, that really um, impressed me. I would have I guessed that you would have said someone like Wes Montgomery or somebody. Oh, well, I love Wes Montgomery, but I, um, I had an ambition about Segovia because I wanted to make more sound with a guitar with one finger than he played with all his five fingers. So I took Wes Montgomery idea with playing with the thumb and trying to develop that kind of action. Yeah. yeah. 
I know that now you are a guy who feels that all music that's worthwhile is music that celebrates the creator, mm -hmm. which is, in a way, coming full circle back to church music. Yeah. Now, uh, most of us know you as an instrumentalist and as a guy who's been out there sort of experimenting for a long time, but I have to say, it's, you just have a wonderful singing voice, and it reminds me a little bit of a cross between someone like John Lee Hooker and even Pop Staples. I'm hearing a little bit of that kind of gospel flavor in your mm -hmm. voice. Just very good singing. Glad you're doing it. Glad you made these uh, blues records. Maybe we can get back to music a little bit now. All right. All right, okay. Welcome back to E-Town, if you would. Mr. James Blood Homer. If she wanna be my wife or if she wanna be my friend I like a woman who ain't too shy Ain't afraid of no man The engine of love she took the prize Baby I'm satisfied That's Mr. James Blood Omer over in New York City. James Blood Omer on the guitar and the vocals. 
Thank you, James Blood Ulmer and Henry Butler. We'll be back with more music from our 2003 season after a break. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District, or SCFD, one of the largest cultural funding mechanisms in the United States, supporting nearly 300 organizations in the greater Denver area. You're listening to E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. I'd like to say hello to our listeners who are hearing E-Town on stations like WWCF in McConnellsburg, Pennsylvania, and on KUGS in Bellingham, Washington, and on KSYM down in San Antonio, Texas. As always, if you'd like some more information about E-Town, there's lots of stuff online at etown.org. So up next, one of the most recognizable guitarists in the world right now is Derek Trucks, who, along with his wife, Susan Tedeschi, leads the Tedeschi Trucks Band almost 20 years ago. He was on E-Town talking about what we can learn from other cultures. Here's Derek Trucks from back in 2003. I think a lot of us imagine, just because of the way you play and because your uncle was Butch Trucks, that you kind of grew up in the family of the Almond Brothers. Is that kind of how we imagine it? Is that sort of true or? Not very. Yeah. You know, but, you know that, I was growing up in the 80s when the band was on a hiatus and yeah. those guys weren't really hanging out very much. So I would see uh, Uncle Butch every once in a while, but that was it. I didn't meet the other guys until I was on stage with him. Yeah. But you soaked up that music because that was just all around you or just because it was on the radio? or Just the vinyl that my father had in the house, you know, the Fillmore East and the best of Elmore James and uh, yeah. a few B.B. King records. So that was yeah. the start. That'll do it. And you, and you get your first guitar at a yard sale? Yeah, at nine years old, which yeah. is usually a good time to start. Yeah. And get out of trouble. Whether it's, <laughs> whether it's guitar or sports or, or something. Or whatever it is, yeah. yeah. And that was about three years ago? Yeah. Four. <laughs> Four and a half. <laughs> One of the wonderful things about electric slide guitar playing is that you can generate sustain, that it makes the guitar able to do things that previously maybe only a saxophone or a human voice could do. Is that, is that how you feel it or see it? Yeah, and, and there's a close correlation with some of the Indian classical instruments that have that, uh, yeah. you know, it just goes forever. You hit a note and uh, it just brings the whole room together. So, but it's definitely the lyrical quality that drew me to it. You know, some of the early Dwayne Almond stuff I was hearing and some of the Elmore stuff. It sounds like a woman singing. So. Yeah. You're talking about Elmore James. Elmore James, who didn't make the top 100 list. I know. What was that all about? Yeah. You can take about half of them off. I have one in the back written. <laughs> talking about the Rolling Stone magazine's list of the best 100 guitar <laughs> That's players. what it is. It's a teen um, magazine. Right. White Stripes and no Albert King, no Charlie Christian, no Wes Montgomery, no Django, no Blood Almer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Take my name off. 
put Albert King on. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're a. Uh, uh, I, I think you're fine in there, to tell you the truth. You know? <laughs> Derek, you're doing fine. But I appreciate what you're saying, which is that you uh, have learned a lot from the people who came before that were soulful and uh, just wonderful players in their own ways. Yeah, I mean, all of us up here, you get it from somebody, you know. Yeah. Everyone has uh, deep influences, and I think you kind of owe it to your musical ancestors to, uh, you know, let people know who it is so they can figure out where you're coming from and where it's going. But I think you've got uh, some pretty colorful ancestors in that, you know, you're talking about Indian music and Pakistani singers and jazz and uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a big players. world out there, man. Once you, uh, once you hear the really deep stuff and you're really moved by it, you realize that there's, it's everywhere, man. You can look anywhere on planet Earth and find it going on. So, and I think, uh, <clears throat> I think when people listen to music from other cultures, it's a lot harder to uh, blindly destroy them. So it's good to, uh, good to pay attention. Amen. What you said, I think it bears repeating, which is that if you look for that common ground, whether you find it in music or in art, but it tends to be in the arts in one way or another. If you yeah. look for that common ground... Uh, you really do find that there is a connection among all people. Well, you know, it's just, with music, it's just human emotions being expressed. It's across the board. You listen to Delta Blues, you listen to some, you can hear some Indian classical, and you can hear the same longings and the same, you know, the same thing. So it's all coming from the same place. Yeah. At least the good stuff is. The real stuff is. Yeah. And it's powerful. I mean, it really does connect people from different backgrounds and different ways of life and open their heart at the same time to like nothing else can. So. Yeah. Um, we were talking about sustain before. Maybe you can just help us feel what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> And you've been doing this pretty much since you're 12 years old or 11 years old, more or less? Nine, actually. Started nine. touring at nine. And yeah. And still you're out. 24 now, <laughs> something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Good luck. We're going to get back to music. Welcome cool, back, man. if you would, to E-Town, the Derek Trucks Band. Yeah. 
nights and I thought they were pretty So if they teach me to live by their rules So I wouldn't be nobody's fool I found out for too long Those rules didn't allow me to sing my song But I knew in order to become a man I'd have to put up my roots and move on in this land
That's the Derek Trucks Band. Derek Trucks on the guitar, Todd Smalley on the bass, Enrico Scott on the drums and percussion, Mike Madison on the vocals, Kofi Burbage on the keyboards and flute, special guest Susan Tedeschi singing along the Derek Trucks Band. We've got time for one more song. I want to thank all of our guests this week whose performances from back in 2003 we were able to revisit thanks to our production crew, Zach Littlefield, Todd Ayers, Donna Giardina, and special thanks to Helen Forster. We're going to go out with a band from Texas. It's actually, they've been around since 1970, more than 50 years. It's kind of remarkable. The Asleep at the Wheel co-founder Ray Benson came back to E-Town in 2003. We'd, of course, crossed paths many times, but... They really have done more for Western swing music than just about anybody other than Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. Here's Ray Benson and Asleep at the Wheel. I'm Nick Forster. Hope you can be with us next week right here in Eaton. This song was uh, written back in the 30s and was an old fiddle tune that Bob Wills had a big hit on. And we recorded it with George Strait on a record. And so by 1993... It sold millions of records worldwide, and the title of the song is Big Balls in Cowtown. <laughs> the English language changes over the years. <laughs> in 1936, that meant there's a big dance in Fort Worth. <laughs> so, and now we'd like to do an old Bob Wills tune called Big Balls in Cowtown. <laughs> Working on the railroad, sleeping on the ground, eating saltine crackers, they're ten cents a pound. Big balls in Cowtown, we'll all go down. Big balls in Cowtown, we'll dance around. Oh, come here, Mama, the hogs done got John Michael all messed up. Oh, Jason, come in here now. Put on. on a steel guitar. Woo. I'm going to Cowtown, boys, and I'm going to dance around. Board up, you win this child. Big balls in town. Big balls in Cowtown. This is a production of E-Town. There you have it, our 2003 highlight show. We so enjoy getting a chance to look back at our archives. I'm Nick Forrester. Thanks for listening.